Well, we're now ready to go into the, the year as we think about uh, <clears throat> what's coming up for us as we've been following the Apostle Paul and the ministries that he's had throughout Asia. The uh, theme that we're following is the Apostle of the Heart Set Free. So wherever Paul would take the gospel, he's moving out of Israel and he's moving into Gentile territory. And so when we would go to Philippi, we would stop there and we studied Philippi. We'd follow Paul over to Thessalonica. <clears throat> and uh, as we move into this year, I wanted to share with you that we're moving into, again, some particular churches that are, that are really interesting to me and will be to you because these are churches in the country of Greece. And so as I <clears throat> open this uh, sermon with a question can you tell me how many churches there are in Greece that are recorded in the New Testament? Seven. Seven here, seven here, seven. Anywhere, any other guess? Yeah, you're right, right on. Can you name them? <laughs> no, no. No, that's that's a farther. That's in Turkey, in Greece, in the country of Greece. Seven churches. That was a good guess because it's in Revelation. But these are seven Greek churches, just Greek. <clears throat> but we're going to get into them. Uh, here they are. You know about the Philippian church, the Thessalonian church. There is a church called the Berean church, and Paul is moving into the country of Achaia. And we're going to go into Athens and the Corinth and then the Sincrean church, this island off of the, in, outside of uh, Corinth. <clears throat> there are seven places. And the reason why this is interesting for us is because I believe, this is my opinion, that there's no other book in the New Testament that is more relevant to the American culture today than the book of Corinthians. And we're going to get into this book <clears throat> as we name as we get into these uh, these works of churches that God has started because God is on the move and He's moving away from Jerusalem out into Judea to the uttermost parts of the world and therefore, as C.S. Lewis would say, this Aslan, he's not safe, but he is good. But you you are careful when you approach Aslan, and though the kids didn't know him, uh, who he was, the moment that the word Aslan was mentioned in Narnia, everybody knew that the king lion was present. Aslan, of course, represents Christ, and as the idea that Christ would move into the world, uh, you, you find Jesus doing some unusual things. But he's, what he's doing among the Gentiles, he was doing among the Jewish people. And so we're going to look at those things because what, uh, what Jesus said is that, <clears throat> that there's a lot of things. Oh, this is not the right one. That's all right. Uh, what Jesus said is that I want you to go into all the nations and make disciples. And that whatever a disciple is, Jesus wants them in all nations. And therefore, beginning with Israel and the Old Testament, you find the New Testament opening up whole new vistas of working with people from different backgrounds that you are not familiar with. 
they were not familiar with. And so Jesus had to do some training to develop his people because the only thing he had invested and left on earth was a group of people, 12 men who would disciple other men, and they would go into, they would go into uh, the world with the message of the gospel. Now the thing about Christ is that Christ really wanted people to know who his father was. And therefore, when Jesus would disciple his, his men and women, he would want them to stretch out what they understood their father's uh, purpose was, the plan, the promises. And therefore, when Jesus would talk with his men and train his men, he would not do so in a seminar. He would not do so in a book. He would not do so just by... Um, having them come to church. He would take them out in relationships and expose them to real world needs. Do you remember the time when Jesus went to the Mount of Transfiguration and he took three men with him? Peter, James, and John, they went up and they saw Elijah and Moses and they were having a hilltop experience. Where were the other nine? Where were the other nine? They were in the valley. And when the nine people were in the valley, there was a man who had a, a, a son who had epilepsy, who would often throw himself into a fit and throw him into the fire. He would get hurt. And so this father took his son to these nine and said, can you help us? And they struggled. They struggled. Uh, Thaddeus, what was that prayer that Jesus used when he, uh, I don't know, asked asked. Uh, James the less and James what was that prayer they did not know how to help people and yet over and over and over again the disciples were exposed to situations they couldn't handle for the purpose of teaching them to trust in Christ and when Jesus came down from the mountain and he saw this boy and his father this family uh, and the disciples befuddled what to do Jesus said this kind doesn't come out except by prayer and fasting. But he said with Christ, he was able to heal that boy. But the disciples who just came out of this high experience saw their brothers who were failing in how to help people. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in a situation where you did not know what to say to help people? And you don't want to make a mess of it, but you just don't know the Lord's purpose or will and so you kind of just like the nine struggle with what to say you see that's what the master does he always takes uh, our situations and teaches us when we're most weak and most needy to learn from him and Jesus would often do this uh, as he would say to his disciples and he would do this as he would walk along the way he would say to the disciples, uh, James and John, when they went through the territories and, and James and John, the sons of thunder, the sons of Zebedee, these were angry men. Angry because these Samaritans wouldn't let them pass through. Call down fire on them, J John, James would say. I don't, don't put up with, they were so quick to tempered and, and yet Jesus would choose 
John, the son of Zebedee, to write the book of love. First John. So the transformation that went through in John's life, he went through because Jesus had a plan to train him, teach him, disciple him. John, that's not the way we do it in heaven. Do you remember Simon the Zealot? The tax, uh, the Simon the Zealot was one who wanted the overthrow, the political overthrow of Rome. And therefore the zealots, I don't know if you know this, but the zealots would have knives in their sleeves and they would walk around and they would, in the street, they would have no hesitation cutting people, killing people. They were radicals. They wanted to roam out of their backyard. And guess what? Jesus calls Simon the zealot, this passionate fanatic, along with a guy called Matthew, the tax collector. And Matthew, the tax collector, if they would meet in the dark alley, no doubt Simon the Zealot would have stabbed Matthew for being such a betrayer, given into the system. And, and Jesus called both of these men and says, said to them, a new commandment I give to you, Matthew. A new commandment I give to you, Simon. This isn't the way we do it. Violence is not my method that you love one another as I have loved you. And therefore, Jesus would train his men over and over and over again as he would pull them into real relationships. And in those relationships, Jesus would teach the kingdom of heaven and change people's very perspective of how to live the Christian life. Well, he didn't stop with just the Jews. He went on to a man called Paul. And you know Paul, Paul was a man who was also passionate and zealous. But he would say in Ephesians that, that we were hard-headed, stubborn, calloused heart, and ignorant. I was a beast, he said in Timothy. But I don't want you to be ignorant. And therefore the call for discipleship and, and to learn the wisdom of Christ that Christ has begun a good work in you and is going to help you become wise. The thing that we really need to understand is that, he's, that he, God is doing this throughout all countries, throughout all ages, and he wants to those who are willing to listen to him to become a disciple of Christ. A disciple of Christ, then, is one who follows the master. And as, as Susan would read, that, that the blind would lead the blind, you follow those who are in the lead. And Jesus said, if you follow me, if you follow me, he said that, that a student is not above his teacher, but everyone after he's fully trained will be like his teacher. And therefore, the goal of Jesus is to make you a disciple like Christ. The goal of the Holy Spirit is to help you understand the mind of Christ so that you see, you realize, and you live out the same powerful love, the grace that, that accepts the unacceptable. He gives you the resources to do that which you would normally do because you normally don't think like Christ. And yet Jesus said, you call me teacher and Lord, and so I am.
But if I am your teacher and I give you the example, and what example did he give to them? That the king would bow down and wash people's feet. If that is the example that Jesus would send, that as a teacher and Lord, that we are called into an incredible, incredible drama of the Holy Spirit touching your life and my life in order to change us from the inside out so that when we live, we live with the eyes of Christ, with the mind of Christ, with the heart of the Holy Spirit, that we understand how to touch people, connect with people, minister to people with grace and truth. Both. Not grace without truth, not truth without grace, but there's a Christ-likeness that takes place if you are a disciple of Christ. The word disciple comes from the word mathetis, the word mathematics. It means you put things together and you understand how things fit. If you're a disciple of Christ, then it's your it's your privilege, it's your honor to set before the master himself. And what he's going to teach you is life. For he said, I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. And therefore that life is rest, rests securely on your understanding of who Jesus is and what he did on the cross. So church... You understand that salvation comes because Christ came seeking you. Not that you came seeking Christ. But you understand that Christ became the baby incarnate coming for you. Not only did he bring salvation, but he's also pursuing each one of you on a regular basis. Now, I don't have it here, but I wanted to share with you, and we'll get into this, you'll see it next week. The... Uh, in the Greek culture, which we're going to go into, the contrast between the Greek and the Hebrew is so phenomenal. But I wanted to tell you about this, this, this contrast. Jesus chooses his disciples as he chooses you. Not so in the Greek culture. In the Greek culture, it's different. In the Greek culture, you go to Plato or Socrates or Aristotle, and you have a different educational experience entirely. The great Socrates. The story is told where Socrates was walking down the market place, and a young man, as would be the custom in Greece, would if you wanted an education in Greece, you had to go find some teacher, and you would have to ask him if they would take you on and give you the training as a disciple. And so this young man went to Socrates in the marketplace and said to Socrates, this mighty, mighty, brilliant man, Socrates, I think, means brilliant. No, Socrates, no, Socrates means brilliant. The young man looks at him and says, would you teach me can I be your disciple? And Socrates looks at the young man and says, you want to be my disciple? Follow me. And with that, Socrates turns and he starts walking into the city. 
And as he walks through the city, Socrates keeps his eyes focused, and he's walking, and the young man says, where's he going? So he, so he jumps behind him and starts following Socrates, and Socrates gets to the marketplace, and he turns left, and he doesn't even turn back, and so he goes this way, and the young man follows, and he goes back, and says, where's he going? And then he turns Socrates goes through the marketplace several turns and he comes out to the other side and there's the ocean. Socrates walks straight into the water and he goes deeper and deeper out into the ocean until the water comes up to his chest. The young man says, doesn't get it, says, so he follows Socrates out into the water and the young man comes back out and as soon as he gets close Socrates turns around and he says to the young man do you really want to be my disciple? He says yeah thinking this must be a baptism kind of experience Socrates takes his hands and puts them on his shoulders and pushes the young man down under the water so the young man is down under the water thinking oh He's holding his breath, and Socrates is very firm. 10 seconds, 15 seconds, and all of a sudden the young man wants to breathe, and he starts pushing up, and Socrates holds him down. So the young man is starting to struggle, and Socrates holds him down. So the man, young man starts pushing back up, and Socrates pushes him back down. And as Socrates is holding this young man underwater, now the man is really starting to fight because he's running out of breath. And Socrates holds him down even further. And as he holds him down, finally, the young man just... And after he starts to breathe normally again, Socrates looks at him and says, Do you really want to learn from me? At this point, the young man is probably thinking, I'm not sure I do with this crazy guy. But he says, when you want to learn like you want to breathe, come to me. For the Greeks, learning was life. For Jesus, Jesus is life. But Jesus won't hold you down like that. It's different because for the Greek, those famous scholars, they could pick and choose who they wanted, whether they were qualified or competent or capable or whatever, but they had to be committed. Jesus starts with us when we are not committed. Jesus starts with us when we have no idea what we're doing. As a matter of fact, Jesus pursues us we don't, when we don't pursue him. That's called grace. And yet the idea of discipleship or learning that Christ as the great teacher that he is is going to use everything to teach you who he is. That he is who he says he is and he'll do what he says he'll do. Whether you're Jew or Gentile. And he's got a place and a purpose for that. And therefore, as Paul would go into this Greek culture, the idea of bringing a Jewish Messiah, not just a Jewish Messiah, 
the Lord of the universe into a pagan culture? How do you connect somebody who doesn't understand the wisdom, the grace, the love, the wonder, who is a fool fighting, resisting, just like that young man? How do you make a fool a wise man? You don't. He does. And therefore, for us as Christians, it's one thing to understand that we all come to the same Lord with different stages of learning. And Jesus, as the Lord Master Teacher, wants to give you wisdom, wants to give you his mindset, wants you to see people as he sees people. And in doing so, there will be a transformation. There will be a cost. But that cost means you letting go of the old way, how you think about yourself, how you think about others, and how God thinks about you and others. But you have this goal, this great goal that God says, my goal is not only to give you wisdom, but it's to give you the wisdom and the power so that you will be a lover of my Father. So that you will be one who understands how to trust me in order to obey me. And to do this in such a personal relationship means that you have to have a new kind of understanding of Christ that's not based on religion. It's based on relationship. And that relationship means that Jesus is calling your name and that you follow. That's what the Greeks didn't understand. Christianity means, it starts with these two words, follow me. And then from Jerusalem, it goes to Greece and becomes a, a philosophy. Oh, do dead men really rise from the dead? I don't know, Paul. Let's talk about that later. The resurrection. But from Follow me, relationship to philosophy in Greece. It goes to Rome, and in Rome it becomes an institution of the church of Rome. And from Italy it goes to Europe and becomes a culture. And from Europe it goes to the United States and becomes an enterprise. Big business. We've lost that call to follow me. And yet what I want to say to you this morning as we go into the story of Paul and, and, the, and the Corinthian church, the Corinthian church also misunderstood that the gospel meant one-on-one -on -one with Jesus Christ. It's a relationship with him. And if you don't have that relationship, you may be a civil Christian. You may be a cultural Christian. You may be a, 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 a family. You're a Christian because of your family background. But you may not have a relationship until you come to, point, to the point of saying, I don't know him. And he knows me. And that I need to confess my sins and ask him to be my savior. Not only my savior, but I need to ask him to be my Lord. Not only my Lord, I need to ask him to be my teacher. But not only my teacher, I need to ask him to be everything to me. And being everything means that you're in a position to learn every single day more about Christ. That's the wisdom of God for you, believer. And therefore, this year, in 2022, as we move into this, I would just again invite you to think about 
being a disciple of Paul, as we're going through the Corinthian story, take this passage personally and think about what God's going to do in your life personally so that you will have a, the ability and the wisdom and the love and the care. Unlike some other religions, they'll just make you do the rules. Jesus cares for people. And if you don't care for people, you don't care for the Lord. Because Jesus would say to Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Second time, yes, I do. Then tend my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Then watch over those that I'm watching. Peter, be involved with people. And the wisdom to help people grow in their love for God, to grow in their wisdom, to say, I don't need to do this because Christ has called me to do that. And therefore, this year, our invitation is to follow me. As I mentioned last week, every single day of this year has been planned, and the master teacher wants to teach you some lessons. Let me summarize it by this way. Last week, how much time did you spend with Jesus? Last week, how many minutes do you, did you spend time in the, in the Bible reading? Last week, how much did you spend time in prayer? Last week, how many conversations did you have where Christ's name came out or you shared with somebody? Last week, how many chances did you have to share with a friend what God was learning? I'm saying that there are so many opportunities. If you learn to walk in the Spirit, God's going to touch you, teach you, transform you if you are following hard after him. We're not just passive believers. We want to be active followers. And so therefore, I invite you this week, if you haven't had time, that you learn to ask Christ, what are you doing this week in my life on a daily basis? Do you have a devotional life? Every morning before I get out of bed, without exception now, it's become a habit for a long time, before I open my eyelids, I'm in prayer. I'm praying not about things I need to pray about, I'm praying to the Lord himself. Lord, I'm yours. Lord, you're mine. I belong to you. This is your day. And I get my heart set before I put my feet on the floor. Then I wake up and get dressed and get my cup of coffee and get my Bible. Do you have a regular place at your, place, at your house where you go every day to meet with the Lord? Do you really? Every single day? Let me tell you, we're getting sloppy and lazy. We're not reading our Bibles. I don't want to put the pressure on you. I'm just saying you're missing out on the best friend you ever had. But for you to have a plan to say, I want to grow close to Christ this year. I want to learn, because you can't make a disciple if you're not a disciple. But Jesus wants you to know him, and to know him well. This year, as we go into Corinthians, we're going to run into some issues that are killing the church, just like they were killing the Corinthian church. And I'm calling upon you as Christian disciples, grow up, learn, ask hard questions, but don't be weak. Don't be cultural. Don't be civil. Just 
be close to Christ. There's a lot going on this week, this year. So I invite you to think and ask God, Lord, help me to let Jesus increase so that I would decrease, so that I would know more of your mindset. It's going to be an exciting year as we get into tactics, as we get into understanding people, but more than anything, that you get closer to Christ this year. That's my prayer for you. Let's, uh, let's close in a word of prayer. Father, thank you that you are so understanding and so kind. Thank you that you really don't withhold from us what we need. Thank you that you are everything we need and everything we want. We don't even understand that. But thank you that you bring salvation, and with that you bring transformation, and with that you bring a hope of heaven, that there's a purpose and a meaning that you have for each one of us. So, Father, I pray that you would build your church and the church would fall in love with you as the bride of Christ would fall in love with that wonderful groom. Lord, take this year and, and multiply us 30, 60, and 100 fold that people would see Christ in us and that you would get the glory for it. We pray these things in Jesus' name for your growth, for our growth and your glory, we pray. Amen. Amen.